Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask the Dean, episode 107. I'm your MC here today, Dr. Ryan Gray, with my lovely MAPT team. We answer your questions. You ask them over at mapped.tv. Rachel Grubbs, my co-founder at Mapped, how are you doing today? I'm great. I'm so happy to be here. I love Ask the Dean. Me too. Dr. Scott Wright. Hello, hello, hello. The man of uh, many talents. (laughs) (sighs) Former director of admissions at UT Southwestern. See how I built up suspense there. Right. (laughs) Practicing. uh, Former director of admissions at UT Southwestern. Retired executive director of all of TMDSAS. um, Here to answer not just your Texas questions, but anywhere um, where you you are an expert of the pre-med process. So I'm excited to have you here to help answer some questions. Uh, We're going to try to do this Jeopardy style today. So we're going we're gonna to listen to the questions and we'll have to answer them in the form of something. I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's not going to That is not going to work. <laughs> what I'm if Rachel is annoyed? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, Varinia Granum, uh, last but not least. The queen of the pre-med universe, apparently, is, is your new title. Um, I love it. it. I love it. I, I appreciate yeah. it. I love it. I think your students would agree. Thank you. I'll take it. I'll take it. Awesome. A former assistant dean in pre-health and STEM advising at Hofstra University. Um, For those of you new here, we uh, take your questions at mapped.tv. That's our YouTube channel. That'll redirect you to our YouTube channel. Uh, That's typically where we'll pull our questions from. So go there. Ask your questions. We may not get to all of your questions. If you ask a question over and over and over and over again, we'll ignore it. Um, bugging us is not the way to uh, to get our attention. So we'll we'll take your questions and and we'll go from there. So um, I think uh, I think we should get started. First question up by the MCAT. Thank you so much, Double AMC, uh, Mister Mrs MCAT, for joining us today. Can you help me understand Casper? And when it is ideal to take it, am I too late? I have already applied. Take it now, as soon as you can. Um, It depends on the school, on how they use it. Do they use it as part of their screening process for an interview, for a secondary? Do they use it post-interview as part of their determination? Do they use it just as data gathering? Um, And they don't use it in the admissions process. So, yeah. Premedyears.com slash 303 is a great episode to go listen to. And we also had Dr. Kelly Dore on National Premed Day last year, 2021, where uh, she talked all about Casper and the new duet and snapshot as well. SJP, I'm currently working as a clinical research coordinator. Can I break my role down into both clinical hours and research hours on my application? So, Verenia, we often talk about um, splitting up jobs. Uh, I've never talked about clinical research splitting up in terms of clinical and research. Clinical research coordinator typically is a clinical job. Yeah. Yeah. I've never thought of it that way either. Usually they sort of go hand in hand and unless you have very specific responsibilities where you're just working with patients and just caring for patients and not in some way also connected to the research. Um, So yeah, I guess I'd like to know more about why you would want to do this. Typically, I don't know that you'd have to. Unless you're missing clinical hours and trying to kind of make up for that. (laughs) Well, well, clinical research, I, I think, is a clinical job, not a yeah. research job. 
Um, and so if you're missing research hours, I, I wouldn't right. try to, in, unless you are doing part of the research side of things, but usually a clinical research coordinator job is, is you're kind of just interacting with the patients, kind mm-hmm. of helping them navigate their appointments and all of that stuff, hanging out with them. A lot of times I'll say break down the clinical research job into shadowing and mm-hmm. clinical because, uh, and, and just with my family situation, I've interacted with some, some clinical research coordinators for some care for my daughter. And a lot of times they just sit around uh, during the appointment and they're, they're hanging out. They're basically shadowing while they're just waiting for, for the, the patients to do their thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Jan asks, when should someone decide to apply DO? I understand that stats don't determine that, but I have high stats, which I think plays into the decision. Dr. Scott Wright, when should someone decide to apply to DO? Do they just have a dream one day of, uh, or or they have a dream one night of doing OMT and then they wake up going, it's a sign from the universe, I should apply DO. (laughs) You know, I think that students... Um, should really consider DO and MD schools earlier in the process, you know, uh, in, in uh, March, April, May, you know, as they're writing their personal statement, as they're sort of thinking about med, the med school process uh, of applying, they should be thinking about where they're going to apply and whether they want to apply DO or not. And uh I am a little concerned uh, that there. I, I think that there are DO schools that, when they see a student with as this as Jan, you put it high stats, that they worry about whether or not that student will actually enroll uh, if they're if they're accepted. I've seen students before who had high stats and didn't even get interviewed at DO schools. Yeah, and that's called yield protection. Right. And students think it's this like mythical thing. I'm like, no, it exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does. It does. Yeah. So I, so I had a student this year who really had not done anything in terms of di- didn't even know anything about osteopathic medicine. And, uh, and um, the more that the student began to sort of, you know, one of my goals for the student was to really do some homework and, and look into what osteopathic medicine was all about. And the end result of that was uh, they ended up being kind of interested in it and, and thought it maybe fit better with what they were thinking in terms mm-hmm. of what they wanted to do in medicine. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, I think it's, it's, worth, it's worth really doing some investigation. Yeah. Yeah, I think ultimately my, my stance is think of them as equals, MDDO equals. And then really ultimately in terms of picking schools, where do you want to be? What curriculum is going to fit you the best? What processes or programs at, at the schools do they have that you're interested in? And then look at those things and include DO and MD together in that research and go, okay, this DO school fits everything I'm looking for, so I'm going to apply there. Mm-hmm. And you may potentially, as, as Scott mentioned, this yield protection is a thing where a DO school is going to go, why is someone with a 520 MCAT applying to my school? Because they understand where they are in the pecking order in terms of the general pre-med perception, mm-hmm. right? It's again, it's a perception that DO schools is, Oh, you go there when you don't have the stats to get into an MD school, mm-hmm. which we're trying to fight every day here, but they understand that students have that perception. And so their assumption is if you have the stats to get into an MD school and the rest of your application looks good, that they're going to go, well, very likely they're going to want to go to the MD school because of these perceptions. And so you just in a secondary, potentially in, a, in an email, a phone call, maybe, uh, depending on what their rules are, you go, hey, like I'm applying to you. I know maybe you won't take a look at my application, but here's why I really want you to. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Armin. Hello. Does declaring medical issues impact the application in any negative or positive ways? Rachel, we talk about red flags a lot and, and what do we do? Do we hide it? Do we not hide it? What does that look like? What are your thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of ways to think about it. So first of all, if what you have is a disability, you are under no obligation to disclose it before you are accepted to the med school. Um, once you're accepted, you should disclose it 
and you're disclosing it not to say, is it okay, but to say, hey, I'm ready to talk about my accommodations. Um, so, you know, if it's a formal disability, I think that's usually the way to play it. Um, now, some disabilities are obvious from the outside and some aren't. Um, so, for example, um, I, I have heard of a, stu- a student who attended an interview while, you know, as a legally blind person and the, the interviewees didn't realize because legally blind looks different on different people. Um, or if you have Ehlers-Danlos, right, that's not always obvious to the outside, even if you're in excruciating pain. Um, if it's something that you feel like you have to disclose because they're going to see it, then sure. Um, and also think about whether or not it's relevant. So if, if for some reason your medical issue is a big, big part of your why medicine, mm-hmm. it might come up in your personal statement. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only way it should ever impact you negatively is if it causes a worry about your ability to practice medicine now. So like a lot of times when people talk about medical issues, they're actually talking about mental health and, you know, is it an issue if I dealt with, you know, anxiety and depression? Um, Many people deal with it. A lot of people who don't admit they're dealing with it or don't even know they're dealing with it are dealing with it. Um, But I think Ryan, you've said from a board licensing standpoint, the only way that stuff gets in the way is if it's not, if you have a condition, it's if the condition would interfere with practicing. Um, So it shouldn't be negative. Um, The truth is humans have flaws. So I would, I would think mindfully about what you, what you reveal. Yeah, I, I've been on a kind of a little bit of a rant lately because of that, because there's a uh, a popular medical influencer out there um, who I think is doing good things um, for the space and talking about mental illness in medicine and as a, as a physician, as a, a provider. Um, but most of it is is kind of clickbaity, rage baity, like, oh, if you say that you have uh, depression that you're never going to be allowed to practice medicine. And this, this is just not the case. Um, the, the medical licensing questions are, do you have a condition that will prevent you from taking care of patients, right? That will prevent you from doing your job, not just do you have some sort of mental health condition? Um, and it's physical or mental health. Typically they'll ask the questions. Mm-hmm. So don't be afraid of of going and seeking help if you if you need for for depression, anxiety, whatever you need. Go get your help. You'll be fine as a physician. <clears throat> Mezzabine is a research heavy app viewed negatively if I'm interested in applying to only DO schools. Brittany, what do you think? Potentially, if you haven't, you know been around other doctors, deals, and, and gotten, you know, kind of exposure around, um, patients, um, um, that would be sort of, that would stand out, right. Having, not having that experience. Um, so yeah, I think potentially. Yeah. The the question is, is it research heavy without clinical? Is it research heavy with a lot of clinical? Exactly. Um, so research is research. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's kind of historically stereotypically DO schools aren't big into research. I think that's changing over time uh, because they understand the relevance of research for that next application for residency applications. Yeah. I don't know. It just depends on what else is there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Budget with Lissa. I am scheduled to take the MCAT on July 29th. If I need to retake it, would it be too late to apply for the cycle, even if I already submitted my application and, and am working on secondaries? So July 29th MCAT is pretty late. Uh, If you've applied already, like currently, that's great. Um, But let's, let's work out the math here. You apply or you take the MCAT July 29th, you get your MCAT score back August 29th, right? Hypothetically. And if you go, oh crap, my score is not good enough. I need to retake it. Were you studying all of August up until when you got your score back or were you working on secondaries or do you have to re-engage and go, oh, oh, it's not where I want it to be. The biggest mistake I see students make is that knee jerk. Oh, I'm going to take it again really quick without taking a step back and going, what caused me to get this score that I'm not happy with? How do I fix it? 
How do I course correct and move forward so that I can get the score that I want and I don't make the same mistake again? Mm-hmm. So if you take it July 29th, you don't get your score back, I would likely just say put the applications on pause, take a break, do some soul searching, figure out how to improve moving forward and go take it kind of January, March, April timeframe for next cycle. Mm-hmm. OR31, do you need a letter from a DO to apply to DO schools? Yes. For one school. <laughs> Arcom, Arkansas College of Osteopathic Medicine is the only DO school out there. According to the Choose DO Explorer, which I, uh, I suggest you all go check out. Um, according to the Choose DO Explorer, Arcom, Arkansas College of Osteopathic Medicine is the only school that requires a DO letter. Mm-hmm. Lloyd, can you volunteer? Can volunteer clinical experience make up for fewer non-clinical volunteer hours. Scott. Okay, I, I see the question. <laughs> so, I'm like, so the, the question is, they don't have a lot of like Habitat for Humanity, soup kitchen kind of work, but they have lots of volunteer clinical hours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the two are, are different. And I think that more and more medical schools are looking for community involvement uh, in, you know, in, in, in uh, getting involved in the community in a variety of ways. And so I don't think that they're, uh, I, I certainly don't think that one can necessarily re- replace the other. I yep. think it's important to sort of see them as a, as an, an and as opposed to an or. Yeah. <clears throat> Jana, 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 should I do an SMP if I just need clinical experience? I have good GPA, science GPA. I just need time to study for the MCAT and gain more clinical experience. Absolutely not. Go listen to the pre-med year session number 491, I believe it was, just a couple weeks ago. I did a, a great interview with Dr. June Kim from KGI, Keck Graduate Institute. And this is the specific question we went down. And I asked him these specific questions. Should you do a post-bac uh, or an SMP if you just need clinical? Should I do a post-bac or an SMP if I just need to improve my MCAT score? Should I? So go listen to that. But the answer is no. Unless you just have 50 grand you want to waste. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But but I'm sure there are lots of charities out there that would love that money. I was just going to say, if you have 50 grand to waste, would you please give it to some kids who desperately need MCAT prep? (laughs) Or pay for some application fees? Yeah. Yeah. How should I talk about standard biomedical research in the activity description without sounding boring? (laughs) Rachel, you have any thoughts? How to not be boring? Well, I guess my first thought is, Lloyd, do you think it's boring? Like, if you think it's boring, it's going to be hard to make it not sound boring. If you say it's really exciting to me, but other people seem bored when I talk about it, then what I would suggest you do is record yourself talking about it like on zoom or whatever and play it back and count the number of medical and scientific terms you use. Um, You know, I'm doing a lot of essay review right now. And so many people, when they get to their research extracurricular essay, um, give me intense amounts of detail that mean nothing to me. Um, Some people on admissions committees have MDs or DOs or PhDs in sciences, but a lot of people who work in med school admissions are education specialists. They have degrees in humanities. They have degrees in in education. So they're very bright people who have no science background. So what I'm looking for when I read a research essay is, can you tell me in layman's terms, like you're talking to your favorite English professor, like you're talking to your aunt or uncle who isn't in healthcare or science and tell me what it is the research is doing just in practical real world application. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you can do that, it probably will be interesting. Hopefully. (laughs) 
uh, Abenaju, how do you stand out when every applicant is stereotypical? This is the biggest fear that pre-meds have. It's like, well, I have clinical experience. Everyone has clinical experience. I have shadowing experience. Everyone has shadowing experience. I have a 3.7. Everyone has a 3. Like, Scott, why is this fear unfounded? Or is it not? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I mean, I think the first first thing I would say about that is the, the, the key here is telling your story. Uh, tell your story. And uh, if, you're, if your goal in this process is to be unique, give up right now because you're not going to be unique. They've seen it all. They, you know, they've read it all. It, it, there's nothing going to surprise them. Or, so I, I think you have to tell your story. Your story is your story. And uh, you let yourself stand out in how much you are able to reflect and to tell the meaningful parts, uh, yes, everybody is, has done clinical work. Uh, that's the what. That's what I call the what, you, what you did. Um, what you're really emphasizing in your application is the so what. Why was this important to me? And that's where you differentiate yourself from others, where you really tell the story about a patient encounter and that you then talk about why this was meaningful to you, what you learned about medicine and what you learned about yourself uh, in, in that interaction. Yeah. And that's really the biggest thing. There, there are advisors out there that will talk about selling yourself and talking about your competencies when it comes to being a physician or what you think is, is going to be necessary to be a physician. And, and to me, that gets into the cliche ter- territory because it's like, well, I'm dedicated. I'm hardworking. I like science. I'm a leader. I'm, and it's like, okay, like I can say all the, these buzzwords too. But when you actually ideally, hopefully right from the heart and say, hey, like this experience is, is what's motivating me and driving me because of the, the experience of my mom and what doctors did for her. And, and now I'm able to, to kind of have those same experiences and it's just really exciting. Then it's all about you and your experience and not just like, oh, I think I'm hardworking enough to be a doctor. That's what it's all about. What's up with those H's? So that's how Doctor. That's how Scott says it. He says it's not the what. <laughs> it's the so Say what, what what way. <laughs> I heard it too. Yes. Wait a minute. Scott. Let's take a turn. Wait a minute. What are you talking about? Yes. Well, there it's, you did it differently. It <laughs> you usually do an H W, not a W H, my friend. Yasheen. <laughs> uh, Hi, is there any way to tell if a public in-state school might be more receptive to an out-of-state applicant? Verena, what tool is out there that students can use to find this information? Are we talking MSAR or are we talking? Yeah, we're talking MSAR. (laughs) (laughs) MAPT has it too. Um, But yeah, the MSAR, the Medical School Admissions um, Requirements uh, database that shows you all the wonderful data points um, regarding medical schools, including out-of-state applicant rates. Um, How accurate they are, we're going to have to, you know, take that on face value. They tend to be. Um, But yeah, self-reported from the school. Yeah. So definitely check that out. Yeah. Mike G, can I come to your medical school? Can send you my resume. No. (laughs) why why would we post that question sierra i took a semester off for personal health stuff uh will that be visible to admissions and will i be questioned about it better to explain any gaps before they ask uh scott on some secondaries schools are interested hey have you had any breaks in your education what are they fishing for with that kind of question uh, I think they're looking for uh, breaks to see <clears throat> what, you know, what you're doing. Uh, uh, the, uh, sometimes breaks happen because of financial issues. Sometimes they happen because of family emergencies. So I think they're just trying to get a sense of what, you know, if there was a break, why was there a break? 
um, uh, you know, that's how, I, I don't think necessarily on face value. I don't think it's a uh, it's a red flag or anything, but uh, I, I do think that they uh, they want to know if there's uh, something outside the sort of the typical norm. Yeah. Yeah, so they, they, they'll ask in secondaries. They'll see in your transcripts um, yep. that, that you're going to have breaks, and they, they may ask. So yep. be ready to talk about it. And, and sometimes, again, you can be as generic as possible. Like, I just I need to take some time for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, Haley, hello, good morning. When should we fill out the, quote, additional comments essay, essay on secondaries? I have a lot that I think could add to my story that is not reflected elsewhere, but I'm not sure if I should. Brenia, we often talk about uh, uh, recommended or optional is not really recommended yeah. or optional. It's re- kind of required. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts for this additional comments? Anything else you want to tell us type essay on secondaries? Sure. I encourage students to fill it out. I don't like blank responses <laughs> unless it's something that absolutely does not apply to you. Um, so it's there for you to add <laughs> anything else, anything else that, um, as you said, could add to your story. It's not reflected elsewhere. Um, you know, maybe an interesting hobby or something that you've done or an accomplishment that you didn't get a chance to share elsewhere. Um, go for it. Obviously that's also a good opportunity if it hasn't been addressed anywhere else to add, you know, to talk about any challenges or kind of adversity you've had to overcome or maybe in your academic career, but anything you want to add is, is, is fine. Yeah there yeah common things i like to talk about here are if they haven't asked why us you can do a why Mm -hmm. us if they haven't had asked a kind of diversity or why you then you Mm -hmm. could potentially talk about it there um so lots lots of potential options Mm -hmm. but fill it out yeah uh ali is it okay to apply to both the md and do school in the same institution like msu Yes. Uh, so there are two schools that I know of. Uh, so Michigan State has mm-hmm. College of Osteopathic Medicine and College of Human Medicine. I don't know. I don't know why they call it human medicine. Um, I, maybe they're just being open for expanding College of Alien Medicine at some point, maybe. Um, and then uh, Kieran C. Patel, something mm-hmm. or other. That's a really long name now. Uh, Nova. <laughs> Southeastern has mm-hmm. uh, now an MD and DO school as well. So, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Joshua, mm-hmm. regarding shadowing, is there an optimal number of doctors one should shadow to dramatically strengthen their application? Kind of key uh, preference there or wording there. Or does this vary by medical school? <sighs> Rachel, More than what are your zero? More than zero? Yes. Yes. I mean, so the, the key here, right, to dramatically strengthen their application. Yeah, but I don't think that there's a rubric like that. Mm-mm. Like, Joshua, when you ask a question like that, it makes me think that you're perceiving admissions committees. You know, there's 234 med schools in the U.S. with, I don't know what, six to ten admissions committee members per school that change year to year. Like you're expecting those thousands of people to behave as a monolith. Like it doesn't make sense to me. Um, Shadowing is really hard to get. If you can get even one, that's great. Getting more is better. Um, If you can only get one and it's a really obscure specialty, that always makes me worry a little. Like I hope if you only get one that there's family medicine or interning or ER or something in there where you're exposed to a wide variety. But the good news is med schools accept in-person shadowing and e-shadowing. So if you get one and the one is an orthopedic surgeon, that is super cool and you're lucky and watch some e-shadowing or one of the many other virtual shadowings out there to round out your experience. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I just, I don't feel like I can answer this question the way you're asking it. Yeah. Well, it's actually easy to answer the question. For some schools, they may have it in part of their rubric because some schools do use rubrics and as part of their admissions process that says, uh, if the student shadowed one doctor, one point. If they shadowed two doctors, two points. If they sh- like, it's possible that that's part of their rubric. Yep. Do what you can do. Don't try to play a game. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. right. 
Suzanne, hello, my friend. Uh, currently on the wait list at three schools. So painful. I'm sorry, Suzanne. Uh, one school is truly my number one school, and admissions knows it very well. Would it be smart to reapply to that one school only this um, upcoming cycle with a similar application? It's kind of hard to know, right? It's like, well, why are you waitlisted? What is their concern? about you that has kept you on the wait list. Now, there are three weeks left. Um, hopefully, you have some understanding of, of what that waitlist movement can be in these next few weeks. There is waitlist movement in the last few weeks, uh, even up to orientation day, uh, it does, to the start of actually the real school um, uh, schedule. Yep. So, uh, fingers crossed. Um, Suzanne message me privately. Um, and, and let me see if I can figure out some things to help you out. Uh, Suzanne and I have known each other for a long time. So hopefully I can, we can help. So yeah. Any Scott, anything that you can think about, uh, here for specifically this question about reapplying with a similar application to this one school or anything that Suzanne can do in these next few weeks? Uh, not really anything you can do in the next few weeks other than just, you know, make, make, make yourself as flexible as possible so that if a school calls and says, hey, we've got a seat, you want it, that you can yeah. jump and, so and yoga. be there. You uh, need to do difficult, yoga. Uh, depending on the, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually a myth. You don't need to be flexible to do yoga. <laughs> no, I said you, to, to get flexible by doing yoga. That's true. Okay, I accept that. <laughs> I accept that. Sorry, Scott, I, I threw a joke in there. <laughs> Anything else, Scott? No? No, you're good. Okay. No. <laughs> Daniel asks, I will be applying to MD-PhD programs next cycle, having spent the last three years as a research assistant in a clinical translational field. Will a scribe position be advisable or should I stay an RA? clinical 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 so md phd applications you're applying basically to two programs at each school you're applying to the medical school you're applying to the phd program at that school and so the medical school is still going to want to know why you want to be a doctor the phd program is going to know why you're interested in research so clinical experience is important yeah Iavine, is there actually zero benefit to double majoring or minoring? Correct. I'm not sure if I should take in more majors, minors, or focus on taking courses like A and P, microbio, epidemiology, etc. Berenia, majors, minors, zero benefit, or as close to zero as possible. Yeah, I was just going to say as close <laughs> to zero as possible, unless you really are interested in those subject areas. If that's what you're interested in, go for it. Pursue your interests. Um, don't think of it as, you know, what's, you know, what's going to make me look better on my application. Just go based on your own interests. Uh, having said that, if you want to take additional sciences, that's okay. You can do that, right? It'll, uh, you know, it'll boost your science GPA. Maybe they're interesting to you. Um, but really go based on your, what you're passionate about and what you're interested in. Yep. Safa, is it okay to ask a science letter of rec from a statistics professor? So this comes up a bunch uh, for AMCAS. Science is considered biology, chemistry, math, and physics. For Comus, science is only considered uh, biology, chemistry, and physics. Math is not included for Comus as a science course. Um, statistics, Scott, is this what med schools are typically thinking about when they say science professor? Can you go off of AMCAS's classification or should you go off of traditional science? I think you want a traditional science professor, biology, chemistry, physics, maybe, but biology or chemistry mostly. Okay. There you go. Mephrom, Mephrom, does an inpatient acute physical therapy unit in a hospital count as clinical for medical school? 
what are you doing in that inpatient acute physical therapy unit? Are you sitting at a desk? Are you working as an environmental engineer, aka janitor? Uh, or are you interacting with patients? What you do, not where you do it. Mm-hmm. Right, Rachel? Correct. Does not have to be in a clinic to be clinical. But yeah, we really can't answer this question. I call it insufficient data. We don't know what you were doing. It's always about what you're doing, not about your title or where you were. Yep. Idris, Mm -hmm. what is the best way to reflect on a huge discrepancy between my GPA, 3.61, and my MCAT score, 527? I don't understand why that's a discrepancy. Mm -hmm. Those are both great numbers. I don't either. I think Rachel, where does this come from? You're the MCAT expert. Why, why, why is this an assumes like, oh, they're going to say, what is wrong with her GPA with an MCAT score that good? Yeah. So the MCAT score is 99th percentile, right? Or maybe, yeah. maybe even a hundredth. I've seen some people yeah. with 528s who got a hundredth percentile, which should be impossible, but you know, the dumb double MC makes their own rules. Um, so it's an amazing MCAT score. It's also a very strong GPA. I'm going to guess that somebody told Idris or Idris imbibed the idea that because he doesn't have a 3.9 or a 4.0 GPA, that number looks bad, right? He thinks that's a bad GPA when it's a good, maybe even very good GPA, right? Like I typically don't even bat an eye until it dips below 3.5. And then even then there's lots of reasons it's still okay. Um, it's also interesting, and I don't want to scare you, Idris, but I, I'm fascinated that you decided to worry about this, but then decided that it makes your MCAT score look lucky. Like, if you were going to be really cynical, I think the cynical thing would be, oh, he must be lazy, right? And again, I'm not trying to scare you, but you want to pick at something ridiculous. Let me uh-huh. make it really bad for you. <laughs> um, this is very mean-spirited. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, 3.6 is fine. You got some Bs. Like, STEM classes are hard. Um, When I read this, I don't really make any conclusions in either direction. Um, They're just your numbers. I go good. His numbers are good enough. Mm -hmm. And then I want to hear about the rest of your story. Yep. Yep. I don't really think it makes you look lazy. Don't worry. (laughs) The the current percentiles are 524 and up is 100 percentile. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I don't think we have any percentiles on GPA. Because GPA is not measured that way. People don't talk about it in those terms. Right. That's right. Yep. yep. Uh, Mazaban, do you guys think we'll continue to have virtual med school interviews? Yes. Mm -hmm. Depends on how many schools will be doing them. But yeah, I think think they're here to stay. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Depends on how many schools and will be a hybrid model where... It'll be up to the student's choice. Yeah. I mean, if you're budgeting, I would say budget for uh, a few travels just to be safe. Yeah. But my hope is that you guys get lots and lots of virtual and very <laughs> few required travel. If you're budgeting, make sure you buy the, the, the pants that go with the suit. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and shoes. And shoes. <laughs> and shoes, yeah. <laughs> uh, how should I respond to a denial for a shadowing opportunity concerning, concerning COVID, COVID limitations? Um, you go, that's a bummer. And you go ask some more people. Yep. Say you thank say, you. thank you for letting me yeah. know. <laughs> that's it. And you move on. There's nothing, there's nothing to do. Uh, Francis, does me an RN make my medical school application stronger? Thoughts on an RN going into medical school? Uh, I talk to lots of nurses who go to medical school, and it's not necessarily that being a nurse makes it a stronger application. It's the amount of clinical experience that you have where you're able to strongly be able to talk about the love of that patient interaction and why it is that you're going on to this next step in your educational journey. So, yeah, I think it's awesome. Nor I'm hearing mixed views on how August applicate uh, applicants are late or not so late. What is your take on that? <sighs> Dr. Wright, you're in a better you back. 
Yeah, I think hopefully it's better. Yeah. Okay. What What do you think about Nor here? Um, I think August is, is getting a little late. Um, uh, I, I would encourage uh, a student. Now, often we have students that apply a little bit later and, or get their application complete a little bit later because they're ta- they took a later MCAT. Uh, that is often the, the reason for it. And uh, But I would say if, if not, if, is there some reason that you're waiting until August uh, to apply? Um, so, uh, nor I, I would encourage you, uh, to, uh, to apply, you know, as quickly as possible and not yeah. wait until August if, if you can. Yeah. One nuance here that I'll throw in, and I don't know if this is Nor's question or the, the meaning behind Nor's question is, is what is defined as an applicant? Is that someone who actually submits their application in August or is that someone who has their mm-hmm. application complete in August. And, and the reason I want to just pick this apart a little bit is because I get lots of messages from students and, and you all may as well of students who are getting committee letters and the committee releases letters to the application services mid August. And they're freaking out going, that's mm-hmm. too late. I can't. And I'm like, it's calm down. It's fine. Medical schools expect that. They understand that the yes. committees yes. have a little bit of a longer process. That's Having correct. your application complete mid August is okay. Yes. Yes, absolutely. All right. Good luck, Noor. I, I wish I, I wish the AAMC would release some of that data um, like TMDSAS kind of did. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I think you guys retracted some of that information or, or made it less public in terms of like uh, June, kind of May, June, July applications and the success in terms of who got interviews and then who was ultimately accepted. Um, I, I wish the WMC was transparent with that because they have that information of like, w- we know when the student submitted, we know when their application was verified. We know when um, they were actually right. accepted and if they were actually accepted. Right. The problem is that that shoots themselves in the foot of getting lots of students who don't understand rolling admissions and are applying August or, or October 31st going, Haha, I made it by the deadline. Um, so they're going to lose out on revenue and, and that's what they care about and not the student's best interest. Oops. Did I say that out loud? Anyway, uh, Rebecca asks, what is technically considered a low GPA and when would you suggest probably doing a post or master's program? Rachel, maybe a, a good time to talk about uh, MAPT and how we can help uh, a student in this situation. What are yeah, your thoughts I'll try, to withhold, I'll try to withhold my snark. I was a little snarky in the last GPA one. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Rebecca, it's a hard question to answer because GPAs are relative to their trend. So if you tell me, for example, you have a 3.2, obviously that's not the world's greatest GPA, but there's a big difference between a 3.2 where you um, maybe had one really rough semester freshman year where you withdrew, but you didn't understand about how to withdraw. So they ended up as all Fs um, because someone in your family was sick. Right. And now you're just like you've been 4.0 since then. You're just recovering. Right. That's one 3.2. Another 3.2 might be. I've been getting mostly B's all of my college, so I'm okay in science, but not great. And, you know, those are two very different scenarios. Um, So it's it's why Ryan was saying, you know, we can show map. I'm going to pull this up here in a second. I've got a GPA graph for you. Um, But what what all of you can do is create a free account at mapped app. So that's um, that's our web based software. And um, let me share here. Mapped app had, there is a mapped pro paid level, but mapped app is free for everyone, for everyone, for forever. And it includes um, a, a detailed GPA calculator as well as an activity tracker and lots of med school research information. So I'm clicking share here. And then I'm going to zoom a little. So you guys can see when you, when you get into map, there's a whole bunch of graphs here, but right now we're just talking about GPA. Go back a little. Can I find one in between those? Okay. So here's a detailed GPA chart. And, you know, similar to the example I just used, the student has a 3.26. And you can see a lot of lines. So the blue line, I'll isolate it. 
The blue line is the student's cumulative. So that doesn't actually move that much. It's a 3-1, goes up to a 3-3, kind of arcs down. We're not showing here. Not sharing? Well, that was not helpful. Okay. (laughs) Let's start again. Okay. Can you guys see that blue line? Right. The blue Mm -hmm. is cumulative. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't move a lot. Right. But if I show science GPA, almost the same. So you can tell this person mostly took science courses because those lines are almost identical. That's the orange. Now I'm going to add the green line. These are grades by semester. And you can see here what happened with this particular student is they started strong, had a really rough term or two, and then came back up. So when I look at this student, what I see is the beginnings of a great upward trend, right? Here's a 3.8. Here's a 3.7. Dip back down to 3.816, not the end of the world, back up to 3.4. So if this student asked me, hey, Rachel, am I ready to apply to med school? I would probably say, I think to prove to med schools that you are ready to handle the academic rigor that med school offers that you need to continue to take more undergraduate upper level sciences and just show me that you can stay above that three, five line. Um, And it's going to vary, right? There's a million different graphs that can show up. So that's why we encourage you to put all your information in and then look at this detail. This is just on the main page, but I didn't show you yet. And I'll back out because this one looks better at a different view. And you can go to this GPA detail chart, and I'm going to scroll down to my favorite one. So the very bottom one is class standing science GPA. So here we can say, see if we're just looking at sciences, the student gets basically better every year, about the same sophomore, junior. But 3.7, they've only got two credits. So they probably took like a tiny little summer lab or something. So what I would want to just see is more credits at this kind of grade level at it. And so I can't answer for you because, again, it's relative, but hopefully this is giving you a general idea of what you're looking for. Are the lines going up? Or if they're up high, are they staying up, right? A 3.9 to a 3.7 does not make a low GPA. That's not a downward trend. <laughs> but, but a 3.0 to a 3.6 is definitely an upward trend. Jack, I wanted to ask whether schools that do not require snapshot and or duet still receive it uh, through Altus and whether they consider it since it is already sent to them. Nope. Uh, Altus makes it very clear that they only send snapshot and duet or duet if the school requires it um, or wants it, really. Christian, hello. Some secondaries ask about plans for the upcoming year. If I do not have a definitive commitment, job acceptance, et cetera, can I say the multiple things I would like to pursue? <sighs> for any, what, what's your thought here? Uh, very common scenario where students are unsure or they're interviewing for a couple of different positions and they don't, they don't know exactly what they're going to do yet. I think it's okay to share that. Um, don't make it a laundry list of like my, my dreams of for the summer of what I would like to do someday. Um, yeah. If you have something lined up or sort of working on it, that's okay to share. Um, yeah. They don't really care that you hope to maybe take a trip somewhere. Yeah. Um, just be honest. <clears throat> Honesty is always the best policy. Isn't there a saying like that? <laughs> Uh, Raya, Ria, I feel like I'm being so repetitive on my secondaries. Is it bad to repeat things from my primary application onto my secondaries? I'm running out of content to write about. Interesting. Scott, secondaries are, are kind of the, the, the thing that we are inundated with right now. Mm-hmm. I usually don't see this as an issue in terms of uh, duplication because the secondary process is so specific. Like, mm-hmm, tell me about mm-hmm. this time or tell me about that time. Or um, what are your thoughts here? Is is Raya doing something wrong here potentially if if they're getting repetitive? What are your well, thoughts? Well, I I have seen some secondaries that seem to repeat uh, similar questions to the primary. In other words, you know, there, there there's some element of it. Uh, I would hope that you would have enough you know, it, 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 enough stories where you're not repeating the same story, for example, uh, in the secondary. But I think the secondaries are typically pretty, 
pretty specific to the to the uh, school and to their mission and to you know why would you want to come to XYZ Medical School uh, or tell us you know more about uh, how COVID affected you is a common one now. So I, I have not, um, I, I really have not experienced that uh, too much in terms of the repetitive quality of it. Uh, but I, I, you know, it may be that there is a, a secondary that you've run into that that does seem to do that. So uh, I don't know, Renia. What do you think? I was just going to say, it could be uh, Rhea that you just you haven't had enough experiences to talk about, which is, you know, at this point you're applying. You know, it is what it is. Um, do your best with it, um, but dig deep right think about everything that you've done depending on the question obviously um i can't off the top of my head i can't think of one i what i have seen is students are seeing the patterns in the questions that are being asked across different schools right Right. and that that's different that you can kind of sort of reiterate some things um but to find new content to talk to to write about that you're going to have to dig deep that's you know Mm -hmm. that 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 goes back to your own experiences and what you've been doing since school Mm -hmm. right Kawal, how do you address unethical or discriminate, uh, discriminatory questions if you did not have such a situation? Mm-hmm. Right. So some secondaries are potentially right. If tell us about a time you felt discriminated against or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you, what are your thoughts here, Rachel? Is it kind of one of those? While I haven't had any of these situations here's potentially what i think could happen yeah i mean my first thought was koal man you're lucky (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. uh, i mean i feel like most of us have been discriminated against at some point um so i mean but maybe you haven't and that's like having had good luck or having had privileges is not something we should be penalized for right Mm -hmm. um you know sometimes i think we actually kind of make try to make it like it's okay when people have experienced trauma because they're so resilient, like resilient resilience is useful, but like you shouldn't have to, shouldn't have to go through horrible things just to get it. You know, life can be hard enough on a regular path. Um, But yeah, if you really haven't had anything like that, then I think you may need to consider either hypotheticals or maybe consider something that was close to you. Um, So maybe talk to parents or good friends or, I mean, there are a lot of situations where discrimination can occur. There's probably someone in your life who you feel like might have the potential for it. Um, and I'm not saying borrow their story. I'm just saying maybe talk to them and then you can honestly say, you know, I've been lucky enough that this didn't occur to me. But so here's some of the, here's some of the work I did to learn more from people who have been impacted. Mm-hmm. And not just for the essay, but because if you've been lucky enough not to experience that, that is probably something you should be learning more about. Mm -hmm. like everybody not just this question asker right yeah right Irene, Irene, uh, I've had a corporate job during my gap years to financially support my family I got clinical experience during that time as well but my job does my job look bad nope Nope. not at all way to support your family Irene good job Mm -hmm. And it's okay to talk about it on your application. Sorry. Absolutely. On secondary. And you don't have to relate everything back to medicine. No. Yeah. Names I want are invalid. <laughs> Invalid. Any advice for Canadian students trying to get in? We don't have clinical experience here, but I have old experience as a paramedic. Don't know if I should uh, recertify to get more recent experience. This is always a big uh, conundrum for our friends up north um, because they don't have the same sort of clinical experience opportunities for pre-med students and shadowing opportunities for pre-med students, yet a lot of them want to apply to the the states, and that's typically what's expected. Um, Scott, what what do you say to our, our Canadian friends who want to come here? Uh, I think that uh, it's it's often difficult, uh, but for that very reason, uh, I think that uh, it makes it challenging to uh, 
to express in, in the, what the American schools are looking for, uh, just as you said, Ryan. And so I, I think that, um, you know, it, it is challenging. And I, and I think that it, it's just the difference in the, in the systems and, and what the expectations are. Uh, so if you're if you're trying to come to the U.S. Uh, to uh, to do medical school, I think you're going to need to you know potentially take a year off, uh, come to the U.S. to get clinical experience, and then and then apply. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Hamad, does taking longer to submit secondaries matter for schools that have deadlines in November or December? Potentially depends on the school mm-hmm. and if they track how long it's going to take you to turn those secondaries around and if they have a process on their end that says "Ooh, this student took four weeks to submit versus all these other students who took two weeks to submit um we consider the four weeks to be someone who's not as interested in us depends mm-hmm. depends i added a little moving shire on <laughs> <sighs> Love it. Hoda, do you recommend putting future experiences during a gap year in the activity section of the application? So historically, we would say no for AMCAS. Scott, TMDSAS has a future activities category or section on their application. But with AMCAS having anticipated hours now, uh, what are your thoughts on like zero hours for completed anticipated hours, um, putting a date range and, and hours there. Do you think that's what AMCAS wants? I, I, I don't think that's what they were thinking when they did that. I think mm. it was the idea that you have, that it's a, a process that you've already started and that it's going forward. Um, yeah. So th- that would be my sense of, of why AMCAS did that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm pulling up the applicant guide. I, I looked at it one other time recently for this new anticipated hours um, to see exactly what they're, they're looking for. Um, but with the anticipated hours, let me pull it up. Uh, anticipated experiences in this section, please indicate if you anticipate completing any additional hours for an experience enter the date range. If you anticipate completing additional hours, please note the start date must be the current month and or year or later. Similarly, medical schools require experience end dates to coincide with the start of medical school, blah, blah, blah. So they don't specifically say this can include things that you aren't doing right now, but you're planning on doing in three months. They kind of imply that by saying, that the start date must be mm-hmm. the current month and year or later for those anticipated hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does say any additional hours and not, mm-hmm. are you planning on starting an activity? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that to me is like a keyword there potentially, if we want to like uh, do some critical thinking <laughs> with what right. the, the words mm-hmm. here are. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, use it your discretion. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah. another way to think about it is a lot of people think about listing experiences, listing hours, but the list is not the important part, right? It's it's not the what, it's the <laughs> so what, <laughs> right? So if it's only a future experience, uh, yeah. Hoda, how are you going to write an essay about what it meant to you? It hasn't meant anything to you yet. You haven't done it. So ongoing activity, future hours that can be an essay. Um, if, if completed hours are zero and future hours are, I don't care what number, all you're going to say is I'm, I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Right. So it just doesn't make for much of an essay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, I think that's why that to me, the way TMD SAS does, it makes more sense that there's a whole nother section for planned activities that you don't, there's no essays involved. It's just a list of activities mm-hmm. that you, you know, courses that you're going to take or whatever. And, uh, and, and it, but it's a set, whole separate list for that very reason that you suggested there. Well, Texas can sum things, things, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> I saw, I saw, a, uh, I saw a, 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 a thing the other day. It said, uh, most people think the, the star in the uh, Texas flag is uh, for, um, for that. It's, it's, uh, it's, you know, um, the, the best thing or whatever. It's actually a review. 
not the Lone Star State. It's right, the one it's state. actually a review. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's the one star state. I love it. I love it. <laughs> that should right. be a t-shirt. Right. <laughs> Premedshirts.com. We'll have it up there in a few minutes. <laughs> Give us time to make a logo. Um, well, we are at time. It's late. <laughs> Yeah, we're late. We're late. We are late. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today for Acidine episode 107. Uh, Not next week, but the week after, we will have uh, a new advisor with us. Um, Mm -hmm. So we're excited to to share her knowledge, her wealth of knowledge as a former director of admissions at an osteopathic medical school, now joining our team, Courtney Lewis. So... Uh, we're excited to to continue to add more uh, amazing experience here so that you can learn about this process, make your process a little bit better every single day. If you have not gone to mapped.com yet to go create your free mapped app account, what are you waiting for? Go do that. Uh, it's free. And I appreciate all of you. Dr. Scott Wright, Rachel Grubbs, Brittany Granham. Thank you so much for joining us and helping these students every single week. There you go. There you have it. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.